Hey, everybody. The deadline to get your application in for the spring vintage of Village Global Accelerator is March 1st. Companies that have been through the accelerator have raised from some of the best venture funds in the world, like A16Z, Lux, Spark, Bessemer, Founders Fund, and many more. Learn more and apply at villageglobal.vc slash accelerator. Hey, everybody. It's Eric Torenberg, co-founder, partner of Village Global, a network-driven venture firm. And this is Venture Stories, a podcast covering topics relating to tech and business with world-leading experts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Village Global's Venture Stories. I'm here today joined by returning guest and fan favorite, Nikhil Krishnan. And new guest, uh, Owen Willis, who's uh, recently joined the OnDeck team and is leading OnDeck Health that has just launched uh, today. Uh, and I must say, uh, we I got introduced to Owen thanks to Nikhil. So Nikhil, thank you for helping us make that happen. Love love when when two of my friends hang out. It's my favorite thing in the world. It's great. I feel I feel like we're coming full circle on this podcast. So <laughs> exactly. So so. Let's start out, Owen, why don't you sort of give a, a, a we're getting into on deck health and, and what we're doing, but maybe you can give a, a backdrop, maybe just on when you think of how uh, health tech and digital health have, have evolved o- over time. I know you have an interesting sort of framework or mental model for, for how you think about it. Why, why don't you uh, why don't you start by unpacking that? Yeah, of course. So I, I think for starters, like the, the history of health tech is also really the story of medicine, right? Like there's been advances in medicine kind of going from the ancient Egyptians um, you know, all the way through uh, the CRISPR work that's that's being done today, and so um, you know, I, I think for the purposes of of this of this conversation, you know, really focusing on advances from like the '40s forward, right? And and I think there are some big inflection points that have happened that have really moved healthcare and health tech forward during that time. I mean, I think the the first is obviously the development of the transistors in the 1940s, right? We wouldn't have pacemakers. Uh, if not for the ability to have electronics uh, be small enough to fit inside the human body. The development of the polio vaccine, right, which was the first mass inoculation. And just as kind of like an aside, like my mom had polio uh, when she was a kid. And now two generations later, it's gone. And, and that's really kind of the first time in human history that that's, been, uh, that that's been possible. But then also when we think about health tech, we think about investors and, and investing in the space. And, and that really kind of comes down to uh, Kleiner Perkins investing in Genentech. Uh, they were actually a seed investor in Genentech uh, when that was first launched. Um, and then, you know, kind of the other big movements in tech, right? We have the creation of the World Wide Web. We have smartphones, things that give consumers more power over their data and more access to information as it relates to healthcare. We have the proliferation of electronic health records things that uh, allow for uh, better kind of collection and usage of, of patient data. And right now I think Epic has 54% of patient health records in the U.S. kind of within their system. And then, you know, most recently, I, I think COVID-19, right? It, the, the, the pandemic uh, of this past year has been a huge shock for the healthcare system. And it's led to unwinding of a lot of regulations uh, that people have been really pushing for for a long time uh, that have now happened in like a matter of weeks. And so, you know, everything from training for healthcare workers to how we deliver care, rules around telemedicine, all of that stuff has changed um, because of that uh, black swan event. Yeah, that's a great background. Um, Nikhil, uh, let's turn to you. You you cut your teeth 
as a as an analyst at, at CB Insights, studying the space, and you've been studying it for for quite some time now. What have you seen as sort of the biggest evolution, you know, m- more recently in perhaps the past you know decade or eight, eight years or so, as it relates to to building a, a digital health company in terms of how how the environment around it has has evolved? Damn, I wanted to talk about the ancient Egyptians too. I feel like I'm getting <laughs> shorted. Uh, no, so I mean, yeah, I think Owen gave some great sort of historical context and and how it's sort of shaping up now. I think um, I'm I'm a little bit more familiar with the more modern, like the more stuff like for when I've been working in healthcare. So, you know, I think that historical context is really helpful for me too. But in the last, I would say decade or so, I think a few, I think there's a few ways to think about it. I think one is how business model evolution has sort of happened. So if you think about like 2008, 2009 is really the start of the Affordable Care Act and kind of how that has been sort of uh, playing out. It's really been a 10 year experiment and that's everything from you know, moving just generally away from fee for service to experimenting with different types of value care, value based care arrangements. And, you know, we still see a lot of new ones popping up. Like, for example, more recently, there are things called direct contracting, um, a lot of companies building in areas like Medicare Advantage. Um, so, a lot of interesting experiments on the sort of value based care model space. And then also just sort of an explosion in cash pay willingness. So, we see a lot of uh, consumers actually willing to pay for better experience out of their own pocket. So, so, so one shift I think has been a business model shift. I think a second is also that I think from V1 to V2, we saw a lot of new infrastructure layers built that make it easier to start a new healthcare company. And to me, I think that's actually really one of the more key shifts, at least in the last five years or so, where now um, you can basically build a new company off this like stack of APIs that exist um, to like really just spin up a quick one. So for example, if you want to do pharmacy fulfillment, you can hit up TruePill and they'll handle all that for you. If you want to check for insurance eligibility, you can use um, eligible. If you um, you know want a telemedicine consult plugged into your workflow, you can use Wheel. So you can spin up companies really quickly now. Um, and, and that kind of reminds me of sort of V1 of general tech where you saw things like AWS and all that kind of stuff make it much easier to start a new tech company. It really feels like now that services or healthcare services specifically have been sort of reduced to almost API level calls for a lot of things that you can now build a lot of new businesses today. So those are, I mean, there's obviously a lot more that's happened in the last 11 years, but those are like two, two I think, of the big shifts um, that, are, that are worth thinking about. Yeah, that, 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 that's helpful. Oh, oh, oh and let, let's turn to you. You know the the program, among other things, which we'll get into, is is helping you know get health tech companies off the ground and helping people transition into that in, into the industry. Um, why don't you talk about any misconceptions uh, people may have uh, around the industry, or just some of the unique challenges uh, that you know digital health founders face? Yeah, um, absolutely. So um, I think you know one of the most common misconceptions that we have in in the healthcare space and, and kind of with people building health tech companies. It's just the idea of it being a meritocracy, right? Like that the best or most novel solution in health tech wins. And that's definitely not true. You know, I think a lot of uh, phenomenal products, you know, never see the light of day for, for a number of different reasons in the health tech space. And, and part of that is, is that success in health tech is very much tied to, to outcomes, right? So it's reducing costs, improving quality of care, saving time. It has to be something that's measurable. And, and actually the, the product itself in many ways becomes the business model for the startup and has to in some way um, hit one of those potential outcomes that's going to help either a, a provider, a payer, um, or, or a consumer. 
you know, as, as part of that, um, actually selling into the healthcare system becomes like a very relationship driven thing. You know, people are making decisions around adopting new products, um, especially products from startups. Um, you know, they're taking a huge career risk by pushing for the adoption of a product, right? If it goes badly, they could get fired. And so it, it takes a lot of time to build that deep relationship on the sales side and, and to set up a pilot and, and do these things to be able to prove outcomes so that you're able to actually effectively scale and sell into these large institutions in this space. And just kind of as, as a little an aside, you know, one of my own personal experiences was selling into uh, the health into healthcare systems. And one of the things that was incredibly powerful um, for us was thinking about the person who you were actually selling to as your guide through the organization, right? So they're the ones who's kind of leading you through the bureaucracy of that sales process. Um, and your job is, is really to kind of give them the tools and the resources to look really, really good to their peers um, and help them in their own career as well. And that's kind of how you're able to make those sales. And so just kind of as part of that, like it's super important for these early stage uh, health tech startups who are selling into the, B2, into the B2B space to get pilots to really manufacture success as part of those pilots, put a ton of resources into you know, making sure that that is going to have the outcomes that you want from it, because that is what's going to get you paying customers down the road. And then I think uh, one other kind of big misconception is just around products related to del- delivery of care. You know, it's, it's really easy to kind of fall into the trap of like solving for the patient, right? In, instead of um, making the, the patient and the patient experience kind of front and center to what you're trying to do with the product, right? They are the most important part of the care team. Um, and it's a big part of, of building successful products in the health tech space are building products that are going to improve the quality of care for those patients. Nikhil, any, any reactions to any of that or any things you'd, you'd add in terms of what's different about building digital health companies that, that founders should know? Yeah, I think that touched on a lot of good ones. I think I especially want to just double highlight the best product doesn't win thing because, <laughs> you know, it's unfortunate, but it, the, the real key thing is that, you know, in healthcare, it's sort of just rife with the fact that buyer the buyers of products and the users of products are two different entities all the time. So because of that, the buyer doesn't really care about the usability and the experience. So product doesn't always win. I mean, I don't even know what the conceptions coming into healthcare are anymore. It's like, other than, oh, it sucks. I, I think uh, some main ones are like, one, no one actually is incentivized in the healthcare system today to make patients healthier. That's just like the reality of the situation. I think everyone comes in, they're like, oh, if we just made patients healthier, like, like you know, let's solve all healthcare. It's like, yeah, but the problem is no one, no one really wants to do that. And that's for a lot of structural reasons. Um, largely, I think, flowing out of the fact that you change your provider and your insurance company and your plan all the time. So that's one problem. Um, the second is, and I guess related to that, is that almost no one in healthcare cares about reducing costs. They care about increasing revenue. That is that is a very um, key thing to understand. Obviously, it depends on like which part of healthcare you're selling into. But for the most part, most of these companies uh, are not trying to reduce their cost structure either because from a regulatory perspective, they cannot, or two, because it looks way better to say you're a low operating margin business uh, uh, that you know is sort of providing care than one that's saying like we're raking in profits, right? Like so, because of that, people care more about um, expanding revenue. And then I, I think the last thing I would just say is that 
this might be a little bit counter to some of the things Owen said, but I'll, I'll just say like, I don't think there's as much excitement from people in the existing healthcare system to use new tech. I think a lot of, I think just generally tech rollout in healthcare has been really bad and that can be tainted by EMRs, which are just like a generally notoriously terrible experience a little before what we were talking about, about the fact that like good products don't win. And so bad products actually end up getting rolled out to the users and they're not like thrilled about it. Like they don't want, they don't want one more thing that they have to do. Right. No one is like, you know, the same way tech people are like foaming at the mouth over notion or Rome or something like that doesn't exist in healthcare where people are like, Oh my God, like I just have to use that new tool. It just doesn't happen as much. So. Yeah. And uh, I, would, I would agree with that. I mean, I think, you know, the, there's a lot of, of reluctance around rolling out these tools and right. I, I think the, you look at something like Epic, you ask many, many doctors, and there's been lots of kind of uh, stories written about this in, in different publications, but you know, using Epic actually increases the amount of time doctors are spending on paperwork. And, and it's actually making their jobs in many ways more difficult. So I, I think there's you know, a, definitely that, that, that challenge, right? Where you have these people building really interesting, exciting things for an audience that is just gonna be more skeptical about adopting them. Um, and, and, and so I think that is definitely a challenge. And that's where I think the relationship piece in, in terms of that selling process is so important. Let's transition into, into the fellowship itself because we've sort of been dancing around it a little bit. Owen, oh, why, why don't you talk about what the purpose is, you know, who, who should be a part of it and, and what they might expect to get out of it? Yeah, uh, absolutely. So I, I think the, you know, as we were thinking about putting this fellowship together, it, it kept coming back to a question of access, right? So, you know, as as we've discussed before, you know, healthcare is exceptionally complex um, and there's lots of regulation. Uh, and so I think for a lot of founders, there is a lot of known unknowns um, when it comes to the things that they need to be doing and building and filing uh, in order to launch their product successfully. So, you know, expertise is, is one access point. The next access point is, you know, sales and sales enablement, right? So the connections to the right people who can kind of help you grease the wheels to actually close, you know, your first or second pilot in, in the space. Um, and then the last piece is, is access to capital, right? If you're not able to prove traction, um, if you're not able to kind of close those initial deals, um, you're, you're not going to be able to raise, uh, raise capital. And so, um, you know, those were kind of the three main things that we thought about as we were starting to put together the, uh, the Ondek Health Fellowship. And so, um, you know, what we've designed is, is essentially a 10-week program for startup and healthcare experts who are wanting to found, join, invest in, or advise health tech companies. And so we have um, a, a curriculum that we've put together that provides these folks with the resources they need in the space, but then we also have speakers and office hours uh, and folks that we're bringing in who are going to provide lots of really, really tactical feedback for founders and, and people looking to advance their careers in, in healthcare. Uh, uh, that's awesome. What, let's sort of give a preview of like where, where things are, where things are headed. Yeah. I'll start the question by asking you first, Nikhil, why haven't there been any, uh, you know, hundred billion dollar startups in the last or even 10 billion startups in, in healthcare in the last like you know decade or so you know it's a multi-trillion dollar industry people like to say what's preventing sort of the big uh big decacorns and, and plus from, from emerging 
Yeah, I mean, I, f- I think for one, there there have been some actually in the last year or so. If you look at Teladoc, Lavanga, I think you see some some of the, um, some of those cases actually pop up. I mean, I think there's a couple. I mean, I think there's a bunch of reasons, right? Like one reason is that structurally, um, because healthcare, I think, depends very heavily on distribution as part of the advantage. It becomes actually way easier to sell into a lot of companies that can basically juice your distribution. Um, as sort of part of the part of your growth strategy. And so um, for a lot of companies that are small, it actually might even make sense to fall underneath the, the a larger sort of parent company umbrella than it is to try and build your own distribution from scratch, which is a very, very daunting process. And candidly, like we don't really, you know, I think unlike tech, which has seen new distribution angles pop up in the last decade, you haven't really seen the same in healthcare to the same degree. You can argue things like mobile and, you know, the web generally have done that, but you know, it's, it's really isolated because again, the person who is looking at the mobile ad or downloading the app is usually not the person paying for it. Right. So even though you have distribution to the users, the reality is like, if they're not paying for it, then you don't see a ton. Uh, you're not going to, you know, that's going to hamper your uh, valuation growth. I will say the other thing is also healthcare businesses for one, take a long time to really grow into their valuation. And, and also with the last, last year excluded there hasn't really been the same zeitgeist of like hey we will like forward fund your rev- your 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 revenue uh, revenue multiple into your valuation because the the businesses are structurally way more expensive and it's really it's way harder to understand what the growth story is in a lot of cases i think covid has really actually changed that uh, drastically where it's way easier to understand like or it's way easier to sell a story of like how you're going to grow into your valuation. There's a lot of money flowing into the markets that is new to healthcare. That's really excited to sort of like figure out like where they should be placing bets. So yeah, I mean, I think that's part of it. I, I would be surprised if in the next 10, 15 years, we don't see more 10 to $50 billion healthcare companies kind of pop up um, because I think that's, probably the range that you would expect to see some of the current companies hit those numbers or or new distribution angles to sort of be opened up to um, either from new regulation, et cetera, to kind of enable those kind of opportunities. So I think you'll see it. I, I think it, it'll it'll get there eventually. I think one thing important to highlight in healthcare is we've never seen a platform in healthcare. This is not, un, you know, unlike areas in tech where platforms became huge value creation engines, and also themselves then becoming, you know, hundred billion dollar companies, et cetera. And I define a platform as something where third parties can basically build on top, and then the aggregate value of those third party applications are more valuable than the platform itself. But when you think about healthcare, you don't actually have platforms, right? You would think something like the medical records would have been a platform to launch off of, but that hasn't existed because they largely are more um, deploying custom solutions per client, and that's kind of the model that they've chosen. Um, and I think in the next decade, you will actually see platforms. And I think platforms are an important part to uh, companies growing into large valuations. Which is which is really interesting, Nikhil, because I, I think, you know, a few years ago, um, there was kind of this big kind of people really harping on there's this push for Epic being a platform, right? Sure. And, and, and kind of having uh, companies build out their solutions, uh, solutions into Epic, but obviously that hasn't kind of paid the dividends that, that people were expecting. Yeah, I think it's complicated. I think a lot of the interoperability rules that are coming into play this year actually should incentivize more platforms to be built or more, uh, you know, just more data sort of 
liquidity generally, which will lead to platforms. And then I also think just the fact that you have like a mass of patients who are now for the first time probably have signed up for a healthcare app in the last year, just because of nature of the pandemic, are will probably actually allow for people to build platforms just by nature of like high consumer sort of usage. So we'll see. I mean, I'm hopeful about it. I'm hopeful for it. If you were to guess, who do you think is best positioned right now to to build or deploy a platform like that? I mean, I, I think the first one will be some sort of personal health record. It's sort of impossible to tell who the winner of that is going to be, right? There's a lot of different strategies to, to doing that, which like, you know, hard, hard to get into in a short podcast. But it's like, uh, you know, I think personal health records will probably be the first platform to emerge. But you can also see an area where like, Either the personal health record itself becomes this, where it's uh, or or a standalone company builds what looks way more like a marketplace between uh, the per- person providing the services and the, the the individual consumer buying the services. I, I think it's actually one of I, I'm this is more just personal speculation. I think per, I think it'll either start from the data side of things, where it's a personal health record that flows into a marketplace that you can sort of you take that data where you want to go. Or the second side of things, which is you start from the finance side of things and you say, hey, maybe it's like the HSA is the wedge. Maybe it's a, a, a payer that's the wedge or whatever, where you say like, hey, we are basically going to be the rails that actually enables sort of this marketplace to get built on top, right? So I mean, if I look at someone like Oscar, for example, it's like I'm now getting deals from Oscar for like other third-party healthcare services and applications, right? Yeah, you, your your boy signed up for like some virtual fitting room classes uh, to 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 finally burn off this pandemic weight, <laughs> but but you know I think more seriously like it makes a lot of sense that the people who control the wallet, the purse, or the payment rails would eventually also want to be power of the platform. Totally, Owen. Uh, how about you in terms of what what we can expect looking forward, and and, and maybe drill down a bit in the healthcare delivery side. Yeah, for sure. So I think. Um, you know, kind of building on uh, what Nikhil was talking about there, you know, I think we're seeing a lot more innovation models around the actual delivery of care and kind of optimizing the experience in healthcare, especially for traditionally underserved communities. And so um, I think a lot of that has been uh, due to what we mentioned before around changing regulations, uh, making it much easier to uh, get access to care, um, making the billing uh, process more easy. And so, uh, you know, we're seeing a lot more companies in the telemedicine space, lots of improved back office functionality for in, uh, in healthcare, things that impact quality of care, like uh, the ability to more easily follow up with patients, and then just overall improved care management, right? So it's, it's not just, uh, in, you know, a prescription getting prescribed, you know, it, it could be, you know, kind of the follow-up after the fact to make sure that they are actually sticking to their health plan. And I think there are a lot of companies in the space that are doing some innovative stuff around that. Yeah, I agree with that. Do you guys have like interesting areas you'd want entrepreneurs to come to on deck with as ideas? Or are you sort of open-ended to like thematically where people are building companies? I think we're pretty open-ended uh, thematically. We have a pretty good range of both founding fellows and speakers kind of going from folks who are actually kind of doing some of that back office work. We have pair team that came in. Mm-hmm. Um, we have folks in the deep tech space, uh, which we didn't touch on too much, but I think that is uh, a place where there's lots of interesting work happening. Again, like one of the things that I'm, I'm super excited about is, you know, COVID is obviously too obvious an answer for like, why now? But like, we're discovering a lot of the cracks in our healthcare system because of COVID. Right. And, and I think, 
you know, in the, uh, especially kind of in the biochem space around drug discovery, I think that's a big, a big place, improved methods for disease diagnoses, kind of more rapid testing. Um, and then things around like um, advancements in the storage of vaccines and cells and, and other things, right? Making that, uh, you know, just making so we don't have to use dip and dots to distribute <laughs> an effing vaccine. So, you know, that, that's kind of, that's where um, I, I'm really interested in getting some companies in. Let's wrap here. This has been a great, great conversation, guys. Uh, Nikhil, can you uh, can you please plug uh, out of pocket and and, and, oh, yeah. and and where people can learn more about y- your work? And totally, yeah. I'm trying to help teach people how healthcare works at outofpocket.health. It's everything from a newsletter. I got some crash courses coming. I got a children's book about how clinical trials work. Uh, so a lot of a lot of things that are are very tangentially related to each other, but not at all. Uh, but yeah, if you want to learn more about healthcare works, you can find me on Twitter at Nikilinet. You can hit me up on out of pocket. You can, I don't know, call me, text me, beat me if you want to reach me and I'm down to chat whenever. And, uh, I, I must say I've read Nikhil's blog from cover to cover. It's fantastic. We did a whole separate episode going deep on a bunch of the articles. So definitely check, check both of those out if, if you're interested in, in, in what you heard today. And, and Owen, for people who want to learn more about the, the fellowship. Yeah. So, um, we're going to be. Uh, I think officially announcing today. Uh, so that's super, that's super exciting. Um, so definitely check out the, uh, the on deck Twitter feed at beyond deck, as well as uh, the uh, website uh, beyond deck.com backslash health. If you're interested in building in a, a company in health tech, you know, we really want on deck health to be that place for you. Uh, we think it's going to be the best place for founders and healthcare experts to go to deepen their industry expertise, accelerate their careers and, and build impactful health tech startups. So check us out and uh, apply if you're interested. Yeah, no, that's great. The only thing I'd add to it is also for people who are looking to transition into the industry or or, or, or get you know great startup jobs, um, you know th- this is the place for, for, for you as well. Um, Nikhil Owen, thanks so much for for coming on the podcast. Thanks, Eric. Thanks, Eric. Thanks, Owen. If you're an early stage entrepreneur, we'd love to hear from you. Check us out at villageglobal.vc.